Gather faithfully. This is kind of the next section of our covenant. To gather faithfully. Acts chapter number two, verse number 42, is really just the direct text that we pull these four commitments of our church as we move out of this preamble and we move now into what does it look like for us to relate to one another in a covenant relationship, right? We've been building up to this point, giving some background of what is the church, what is his purpose for the church, ultimately what is a covenant, what does that mean for us, what are the implications of that on on our life, and now we are transitioning into the next section of this series where we're going to be examining what it looks like to live those realities out in our lives, in our relationships with one another, and in the context of a lost world. So in the context of the church, discussing the reality of gathering, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it seems somewhat unnecessary. This reality of the church gathering faithfully should be somewhat assumed, right? You, you would think that that would be the case and that we could quickly move on from this reality and, and we could move on to maybe greener pastures or what would be considered maybe more important things to discuss. You would think that the church and gathering should just go together, right? I think of some things that go together. I had some fun with this, right? We have uh, salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly, macaroni and Okay, these, these, things, these things go together, right? One without the other, it just is missing something, right? Maybe you're just a salt person or a pepper person. I am, I am firmly a salt and pepper kind of guy, so those things can't be broken up at all for me. And of course, we have Batman and Robin, right? These are things that just go together. I had to throw macaroni and cheese there for Olivia. That's like her, that's the only thing she eats. She's literally growing year over year on macaroni and cheese. So pray that uh, her palate would, would grow into more mature items at some point. But until then, macaroni and cheese is a staple of our, of our home. Right, the church and subsequent gathering of that church, it just seems like those two things would go together. But unfortunately, the day we live in, it's not a reality that we live. The church and gathering, this has always been God's plan for the church. And so this evening, our desire would, for, would be for us that, that we would be steadfast, we would be stirred up, we would be renewed in our desire to see those two things as simply Two things that work together. Back in my college days when I was much more in shape and and played baseball, I wouldn't have claimed to be on that baseball team if I didn't show up for those practices. I wouldn't say, hey, I'm on I'm on the baseball team, but yet, hey, the schedule says there's a doubleheader this evening and I just didn't show up. I wouldn't claim to be a part of that team if I wasn't present faithfully a part of the work and the mission of being the best team 
that we could be understanding my role on that team, understanding that, hey, you know what? It's winter. None of the other parts of the team are working, but pitchers and catchers, we, we've got to report and we got to start working. We got to get stronger. We got to start putting in the effort. I showed up. I was attending those practices. I did engage in those games. Therefore, I was a part of the team, right? And some essence, you could say that we are a part of God's team as he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the practices and the game days are when they're, they're, they're right here in the local gathering of the body, right? And, and to be a part of God's team means that you're going to be a part of the gathering. This is God's plan. This is his desire. This is what it should look like. So when we gather, we're to gather faithfully. It's not something that we just do. We don't gather for pragmatic reasons of entertainment and and maybe social work of, of some kind. We gather because it's God's plan for us. When God calls us to himself in salvation, and when that gift of, of faith is exercised and, and we say yes to his call to follow me, and we are saved and baptized, we are to then what? Gather faithfully with his church. We live in a day where this connection of the church and gathering, it's far from assumed. And again, it is certainly not a reality that many experience day in and day out. You look at some of the causes and challenges of this, the social media craze no doubt has fueled a greater divide in the connection between the church and this gathering. You see, the church has slid so far away from its identity as the body of Christ that parishioners and those a part of that church, they've come to the conclusion that the gathering is simply optional at best. You know what, I'll just pick up the live stream. I'll, I'll just, uh, hey, you know what, I'll stay in, in my comfy jammies this morning and, or this evening and I'll just, I'll, I'll just pick it up online. You've got, in, in, you've got thousands and potentially tens of thousands and hundred thousands that claim Christianity, but yet they're not plugged into a local church. Can you know Jesus Christ and be saved without attending the church? Yes, you absolutely can. Think of the thief on the cross. He certainly believed and Christ said he that day would be with him in paradise. So certainly church attendance, gathering faithfully is not essential to gospel and the salvation of it, but rather it is something that is a fruit of our salvation that if saved, we should pursue that by God's grace and for his glory, knowing that it, that is his plan and his desire for us to unite with other brothers, sisters in Christ. So it's simply optional at best. Others would simply view it as inconvenient, unnecessary, and potentially even annoying at worst. There are good reasons for this disconnect, namely the world, our flesh, and the devil. I, I call this out in 
in my opening prayer. These are things that are warring against the church being together. When you think about your flesh, is it not hard many times to get yourself and, and your family out the door and on time to church? Why? Because, man, there's just so many things that are vying for our attention, that are pulling us so many different directions. And our flesh is saying, you don't need fellowship. You don't need one another. The world says that all the knowledge and wisdom that you need is right here in and of yourself. And so what do we do? We follow our way and our understand, own understanding instead of following God's plan for our life. And then you have obviously the devil. The devil knows that if he can keep the people of God from gathering as the church of God, he can certainly minimize to some degree the impact and influence in that place, in that time. So friends, we must view this charge, this imperative to gather faithfully as spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare that you are here today. It is glorifying to God. It is good for you and others that we see each other here this evening. And what does it do? It deals a death blow to the world, our flesh and the devil, when we say yes to God's plan for our life. And we say no to the other things that would desire to distract us and, and pull us away. This is the mindset that we must have as we continue to work through this series. It's, it's battle. It's spiritual warfare. Everything in us and around us is fighting against God's people gathering together as the church of God. So we're declaring through the physical gathering of the church, that this world is not our home. We long for an eternal kingdom that is to come, but until then, God has given us a glimpse of that eternal kingdom right here on this church. If we are his ambassadors, which we are in 1 Corinthians, if we are his ambassadors, the church then would become his, what? His embassy. His geographical domain right here is the church where it is his kingdom, just like the U.S. has embassies in other foreign countries. And that embassy literally can be claimed as what? U.S. sovereign territory. This church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ it is the embassy of God in this world, giving others that look in and look on and observe the church to say this is the kingdom to come. God is real. Christ is the son of God. Repent and be baptized. Just as we read earlier, this is the reality of the church. It's not just something that we do or something that we're a part of or something that we've already always done. Rather, the church has eternal significance. So our desire this evening is for us to raise our awareness to those realities and to live in light of those realities day in and day out. So friends, there's too much at stake and too great a cause for us to settle for less than God's perfect plan and design for us in the church. And that brings us to our big idea this evening. It's this, because Christ Jesus 
has secured his bride, the church, by means of his own life, we should value and engage rightly within the physical and literal gathering of this church. Because Christ Jesus has secured his bride, the church, by means of his own life, we should value and engage rightly within the physical and literal gathering of this church. So as we've said, really with every kind of topical message that we've had as we've worked through this covenant series, there's, there's so much that could be said about gathering faithfully in relation to the church. There's so much that could be said about the church as a whole, as, as Pastor Dave gave us uh, a great message just on what the church is uh, earlier in this series. Um, theological terms, right? There, there's a whole section of doctrine and theology dedicated to the study of the church. This is our ecclesiology. This is what we believe about the church from the word of God. And so as we consider the realities of that, we're going to try to focus our attention not on the broad overview of ecclesiology or God's purposes for the church, but rather we're going to focus in on our covenant as we challenge from that covenant for us to gather faithfully in really four different ways. And from Acts 2.42, you've got your Bibles open there, Acts 2, verse number 42, and they devoted themselves to four things. One, the apostles' teaching. Two, the fellowship. Three, the breaking of bread. And four, the prayers. So over the next two weeks, I'm going to have the task of covering those four basic pillars of the New Testament church. Right? These are four defining characteristics, if you will, of the New Testament church. <clears throat> and because Dave knows myself too well and I know myself too well, we're going to break these up into two weeks and cover two tonight and two next week. And so this evening, <coughs> excuse me, kind of battling some uh, seasonal allergies, so apologize about that. This evening, we're going to cover doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship. And our two sermon points from those topics are going to be this. The church of God should learn about God. The church of God should learn about God. And the second is going to be very simple as well. The church of God should love like God. First, the church of God should should learn about God. Maddie, uh, Madison, could you maybe find a cup for me of water? That'd be great, thank you. So first, the church of God should learn about God. Acts chapter number two here, as we look at verse number 42, it's on the heels of Pentecost and Peter's bold proclamation of the gospel that the church begins to gather in those 3,000 that were added to the church committed themselves to what? Learning more about the God that just saved them. At the earliest stages of the church, they heard the gospel. They responded. They repent. They believe. They were baptized. They were added. What did they do next? They put themselves under the preaching and teaching of the apostles' doctrine. what doctrine is. It's the teaching of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. 
Is this not essentially what Christ Jesus had in mind when he left his disciples that great commission to do what? To go and make other disciples, to baptize them and do what? To teach them all that I have commanded you, right? This is what it looked like to be a follower of Christ. He always had the intent for the teaching and preaching of doctrine to be a core element of the gathering. Thank you, man. So the church should be a center of teaching and preaching. Should be a center where we can expect that when you come and and you're a part of the gathering that you should be equipped with what? The word of God. So that you can go and do the work of the ministry. That's why we commit even in our gathering of the church. That's why we commit a large portion of that to what? The ministry of teaching and preaching. It's our desire as elders to honor the Lord and his desire for the people of God to learn more about him. How do we do that? Through doctrine. So doctrine has somewhat fallen on hard times and there's a lot of misconceptions about doctrine uh, and people just think that doctrine is just for kind of these egghead academic theologians that just have no practical influence in the world that we live in, right? You've heard the quote, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. We've seen that probably in in other people and relationships, but friends, the church of God should be a church that's grounded in the doctrine of the Bible, right? We should be committed to the preaching and teaching a biblical doctrine, that should be nothing that we should apologize about. You should have a desire to learn more about the God of the word because why? He's the one that saved you. If he saved you, you should get to know him. And as you get to know him, you're going to find areas of opportunity to become more like him by God's grace as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, sets us apart from the world and ourselves and sets us apart to Christ. It's a progressive action, a progressive work. It never ends. We never plateau. We never arrive. We never have all the understanding of doctrine so we can give our life to this pursuit, to knowing, committing ourselves in our church to learning more about biblical doctrine. What's the big deal about doctrine? Why would the church be committed to doctrine? Why would Luke call this out here? Why is it something? What's the first thing that's mentioned about the commitments of the church at its earliest stages? What does doctrine provide for the gathered church? Is that not a fair question? Kind of this, so what? So you say I'm supposed to do this, but why? What's the big deal? What's what's in it for me, so to speak, but in a, in a healthy way, right? Uh, let's jump over to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We would be most familiar with this chapter as it lays out the qualifications for elders and then the deacons. And then there's an important closing statement that Paul makes in his letter to Timothy that I believe is helpful 
in our understanding of the role of doctrine in the life of a believer. Paul says this in verse number 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, or why? Why is Paul writing this? Verse number 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Friends, it is is doctrine that leads us to a right understanding of who God is and how we relate to him and others in this world. So to answer the question, what role does doctrine have in the life of a believer? Paul answers it. Paul answers it. It's that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So doctrine is taught. Truth is received and lives are changed. This is the work of the gospel. It always has been, always will be, but we don't just adhere to any doctrine. The early church was careful to acknowledge and learn the doctrine of whom? Acts 2.42. It was whose doctrine? The apostles' doctrine. This is an important distinction. Paul was equally concerned about this reality back in 1 Timothy. Turn forward a couple pages to chapter number one. We're going to read verses three through 11, where Paul lays out this reality and role of doctrine with some warnings. As I urged you, this is Paul to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these, have wandered away away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and sexually immoral, men and men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. This is one of the first things that Paul gives to Timothy to do. Be sure that what no one is teaching a different or a false doctrine. Why was this a problem? Why would Paul be so concerned about this reality? Because doctrine, if truly believed, 
whether it's right or wrong, it will always impact how I view God and others. So my doctrine, if false or different from the sound doctrine, which is in accordance with the gospel, as Paul urged, this false doctrine will not lead me to behave rightly in the household of God, as he said later in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. So what do I mean? What do I mean by this example here of Paul in 1 Timothy? The early church was committed to the apostles' doctrine, and it was sound, as Paul described it in his letter to Timothy. The Greek word for sound that Paul uses here has the idea of healthy. So Paul is advocating for a healthy doctrine that would be good for its learners. Why? Because it is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God as opposed to the different or false doctrines that were out there. These doctrines would be like a disease. Disease to your spiritual growth and vitality. This is what false doctrine is. It's a disease to our spiritual health and growth in the Lord. This comes in so many different shapes and sizes in our American culture that we live in. There's so much that's thrown under the supposed umbrella of evangelical or or even Christendom that they attach Christian to everything. False doctrines, different doctrines, prosperity gospels, other gospels, false gospels are put in front of us with sheep's clothing. To be viewed as something that would be good and and helpful and right, but yet in reality, it's harmful to our spiritual life. So the early church was committed to the apostles' doctrine. They faithfully gathered for the purpose of learning more about God. They gathered so that they could understand the the core beliefs of the Christian faith. This is what kept them on track. This is what kept them from getting off into the ditch. This is what kept them from taking a detour. Their eyes were fixed on Christ, the gospel, the apostles' doctrine. So what does this look like? What does it look like when a church is committed to sound doctrine, not trading that for a different doctrine or a more popular doctrine. What does it look like when the church of God is committed to gather faithfully for the purpose of committing themselves to learning the apostles' doctrine? It's right in God's word, Ephesians chapter number four, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's the result of that? For the building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. This is healthy. This type of sound doctrine, it causes us to grow in our understanding of the Lord. Therefore, we mature in our relationship with God and others. Mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
sound doctrine causes us to become like Christ. That's incredible. That through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, the Spirit of Christ at work in us post-salvation, that we can become like Christ. This is the role of sound doctrine in the life of the believer. It is the DNA, the lifeblood, the heartbeat of the local church to be committed to doctrine. The fullness of Christ. What's at stake? What do we not want to happen in our midst so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see that in America? Do you see that in our society, in our culture? Just whiplash of every new aspect that's coming out, health, wealth, and prosperity. Your best self now. Christianity has been relegated to what? Just another self-help book or ideology that's out there. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is the devil, the world in our flesh working its way into the church through the guise of doctrine. Rather, Paul admonishes the church at Ephesus, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's probably not the first time you've heard that passage in the series, and I'm confident it's probably not going to be the last as we continue to work through this covenant series. So the church of God should learn about God. Secondly, the church of God should love like God. And you might be asking, I thought the second item in Acts chapter number two, verse number 42, was fellowship and not love. And if you're asking that question, you're obviously right, because that's what it is. They committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. We're going to lean into this idea and concept, understanding of fellowship, but the takeaway I'm hoping for as we work through this second point is this, that true biblical fellowship will always produce biblical love. True biblical fellowship will always produce biblical love. Pastor Andy is going to be, um, in I guess three weeks from now, going to be talking about bearing with one another in love. But I want to make the connection now between these core items and what they ultimately produce. What's the result of apostles' doctrine and fellowship? True biblical fellowship always produces biblical love. Before we get into that connection, let's understand fellowship for what it is. What is fellowship? The Greek word used in Acts 2 for fellowship is koinonia. The root word is koinos or common. So biblical fellowship is many times misunderstood in, again, our American culture. It's not always some spectacular spread of food, a spotless home and great entertainment. 
It can't be that. Dave's really good at that. It can't be those things. Certainly good biblical fellowship can be a part of those activities. But as the early church understood it, fellowship, koinonia, koinos, was a common type of fellowship. It was, it was a commonality of the everyday experiences of life. In the early church, it was about sharing those common moments. But sharing them how? They shared them together. In a physical and real way, they were involved in the common experiences of life together. Turn back to Acts chapter number 2. Verse number 43. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's that word koinos. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is where fellowship meets love. Koinonia, fellowship, is what the early church committed themselves to when they gathered. And as such, all who believed were gathered together and had all things in Koinos, they had all things in common. What happened then? They sold their possessions. They met needs as they came about. They were together even more. It caused them to desire to be together and it caused them to have glad and here's another fellowship type word. Koinonikos, generous hearts. Fellowship meets love when the people of God are together, needs are met. There's an awareness about struggle and difficulty when we are together. Areas of opportunity are exposed, not for our shame and regret and something that we need to hide from, but rather so the church of God can deploy their numerous gifts to meet the needs in our life. And we can do that to others when we are together, when we have all things in common. What is produced by that? We have glad and generous hearts. Koinonia brought them together in the koinos experiences of life and it produced a radical move of uh, koinonikos that turned their world upside down for the gospel. Radical generosity and love for their brothers flowed from what? Fellowship, from being together. This is the beauty of the work of God. I love verse 47. They were praising God. Worship flowed from being together. 
at favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fellowship, being together for the common experiences of life, radical generosity, glad and generous hearts. It is the platform by which the gospel can go forth in great power. You could almost say this about our fellowship within the church. It is the evangelistic catalyst outside of the church. So fellowship within the church is the evangelistic catalyst outside the church. This is the testimony of the early church. As they gathered and put themselves under the sound teaching of God's word and they learned doctrine, they were together, needs were met, and what happened? Others saw that and they saw them relating to each other in, in ways that were not common in, the, in, in society and culture that they lived. That caused intrigue, that built bridges for the church of God to share the gospel with them. And as a result, others were being saved and added to the church. This is what was so radical about the gospel and the testimony of the church at Acts. It's what it's that ultimately the gospel unites Jews and Greeks under one God. There was no partiality or prejudice present in the church. If there was, it was being repented of. It was being laid down. There was new uh, relationships and fellowship that was that was being. Uh, forged as a result of the gospel changing each other's hearts. There's freedom to love all of mankind in a way that we were loved by the God who saved us. So friends, I think there's a tendency for us to agree that it's easier for us to prioritize doctrine. We know that if, man, if we get doctrine wrong, there's so much downstream negative implications that follow. But what about our fellowship? What about our fellowship? Do we view fellowship in terms of that it is mission critical to the testimony of the church in the world that we live in? Is, is your fellowship, is my fellowship and engagement with our brothers and sisters in Christ, is it painting an accurate picture of the gospel for those that look in and look on to Liberty Hills Bible Church? Is our fellowship, our togetherness, is it the driving force in our proclamation of the gospel to those who are lost? I came to this conclusion as I was working through Acts in this message over the last few days. If I or we have little to no desire to proclaim the gospel, we might need to look first at how you and I are relating to one another in biblical fellowship. When the church of God fellowships together, the way God designed and lays out in the word of God, it's going to cause us to love and revere the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So much so 
That when we leave that fellowship, when we leave that gathering, the gospel is going to be on our heart. The gospel is going to be on our mind. The gospel is going to be on our lips. And so that when we have those providential interactions, those encounters that the Lord brings into our path, what's going to be the thing that they see and hear and observe? It's going to be the gospel. Amen. As they see, hear, and observe the gospel through the seeds that are planted in water, ultimately God. It's true to his word to build his church will give increase. And we too, just as the early church in Acts chapter number two, we too will see day by day those that are being saved added to our church. So fellowship, love, proclamation of the gospel, these are all connected and tied together. So it's within this right here, temporary gathering of Liberty Hills Bible Church that it should remind us of something more and perfect. It reminds us of a gathering where all tribes and nations will be gathered exalting King Jesus for all eternity. As Pastor Dave gave us a glimpse of that out of Philippians chapter number two, every knee will bow, every tongue will conf- confess that he is Lord. That reality in and of itself, it should cause us to lean into this gathering, the church here and now, because it is just a, it is a foretaste of God's eternal kingdom to come. So friends, until then, we pray as Christ taught us, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a glorious gift the church of God is in our life. As we gather, friends, let it be faithful. Let us not allow the cares of this world, or the world, the flesh, and the devil to get a foot in the door of our desire to gather with the body of Christ. So the admonition that we'll look at even a bit more next week, Hebrews chapter number 10, I'll leave you with these three verses, verses 23 through 25. Let us... Hold fast the confession. It's biblical doctrine. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. God is faithful. That's what we learn when we study doctrine. We learn who he is, his character, that he who begun a good work in us will complete it. Amen. So he who promised is faithful. The author of Hebrews goes on and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near and all the more, and all the more. Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you that we gather not under compulsion, not because there is some sense of duty or obligation, but we gather, Father, because of your grace working in our lives. 
We come together as just simply a group of broken individuals that are all in need of your grace day by day. I pray that we as a church would continue to commit to gather faithfully, even under opposition. Even when our culture says that we shouldn't or can't or won't. Uh, Father, I pray that we as a church would honor you, your desire for your church to gather. I I pray as we do it faithfully that you would cause us to continue to be committed to your word. Sola Scriptura. That your word would guide what we teach and what we preach. That we would remain steadfast as Liberty Hills Bible Church to commit ourselves to the apostles' doctrine. And not only the apostles' doctrine, Father, I pray that you would cause us as we learn more about you and more about the church and more about this world that we live in, I pray that we would have a desire to simply fellowship, to be together through the common experiences of life. We would see that generosity flow even from our church as a result of being together. So Father, I pray that you would continue to do a work in our lives as we commit these things to you. Help us to not be a forgetful hearer, but to be a doer of your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.